I think we we probably are at like the upper end of the spectrum in terms of how much time and effort we put into it compared to other podcasters. I mean, we release an episode every week. We have a newsletter. We have nine books that we published with the podcast over the past year, and we've done events and workshops and conferences associated with those. So we put a lot into it. But, you know, some people release on a uh, less regular or less frequent schedule, or they might not do like the newsletter, the social media, all the kind of stuff that goes alongside it. So you can kind of make of it what you will. Hi, friends. This is Read and Write with Natasha podcast. My name is Natasha Tynes, and I'm an author and a journalist. In this channel, I talk about the writing life, review books, and interview authors. Hope you enjoy the journey. Hi, everyone, and thank you for joining me today for another episode of Read and Write with Natasha. So today is the first time we have two authors. We have uh, Landis Wade and uh, Sarah Archer. So uh, both of them actually co-host the award-winning podcast, the Charlotte Readers Podcast, uh, in which they have conducted more than 500 author interviews. Wow. It's a bit intimidating to uh, <laughs> interview podcast hosts. But uh, um, Landis Wade writes light-hearted legal thrillers and mysteries with a historical or a holiday touch and he's a recovering trial lawyer and he is the founder of the charlotte readers podcast sarah archer is the author of the novel the plus one and uh, she co-hosts uh, the podcast charlotte readers uh, so both of them co-wrote a murder mystery novella called Death by Podcasting, and it's about uh, uh, two podcasters threatened with murder. Wow, <laughs> this is this is this is going to be a, a fun episode. So thank you for joining me today, and I'm uh, so excited to have you. So the first thing is, why did you write this book, and why did you write it, both of you together? So the floor is yours. Well, the book initially was Landis's idea. It started out as an idea you had about this story with two literary podcasters who um, find out that one of the author guests that they're planning to interview on their big year-end live finale event coming up the following week has plans to murder them, but they don't know which one, they don't know why. And initially we were thinking like, let's write this as a short story. And it kind of spun out into a novella because we were having a lot of fun with it and just coming up with characters that we liked. And I think that we, Landis had the idea initially to co-write, but we both were kind of intrigued by that. We've had co-authors on the show before, and it's interesting to see kind of their process and how mm. it's different from authors just working solo. I have a screenwriting background in, in that world. For TV and film, it's also much more kind of collaborative in terms of how the writing process happens a lot of times. So it's something that I'm interested in. And yeah, we we started it, what, like May or June, I think was kind of when we first started talking about it and then got it done over the summer and just published it. I, I think I caught Sarah off guard when I said, hey, let's, let's write a book together. <laughs> and uh, but uh, yeah, and first of all, thank you, uh, Natasha, for having you, us on your podcast. It's uh, it was great having you on uh, Charlotte's podcast uh, way back when with your novel, and uh, it's nice to be in the uh, shotgun seat sometimes, and not the driver's <laughs> seat when it comes to, to doing this. But uh, to to follow up on uh, Sarah's answer to your question, I had uh, we'd interviewed these authors who'd written books together, and we we interviewed an author who had written like a one hour read and put it up on 
Amazon for like 99 cents. And I was intrigued by this idea of writing a shorter book, a shorter mystery, and also intrigued by the idea of doing it with someone else. And since Sarah and I worked closely together on the podcast and we kind of knew each other's work ethic, I just threw this idea out to her and I said, hey, why don't we give this a try? You know, what's the worst that can happen? And she comes from more of a literary fiction background, but she does do screenwriting and she's got some humor in her plus one uh, book. And so, and I like to put humor in, in what I write as well. And so we thought, well, let's, uh, you know, let's do something fun with podcasting. Let's, let's just sort of suppose, and Natasha, you interview authors too, suppose one of your authors, you find out that one of your authors is going to kill you in three days. <laughs> you know, what do you do? How, how do you figure it out? You have to use your wits and you have to use your skill set from writing mysteries yourself to kind of figure out well, which one of these people would want to kill me and why in the world would they want to kill me? I'm just going to ask them questions. I mean, they can't be that sensitive. So, you know, it sort of got us uh, intrigued about how do we make this interesting? How do we create a lot of suspects? And we wanted to poke fun at writers and poke fun at ourselves as writers. And so we pick on thriller writers and we pick on romance writers and poets <laughs> and we make them suspects. And it was just a it was a fun thing to do. We can talk more about the process and the discipline, but that's a kind of an initial answer to your question. Yeah, it's fun. So how did you manage to co-write it together and keep the same, I guess, voice uh, and the feel? Uh, you know, like both, every author has their different style. So how did you manage? Because, you know, when, when, I, when I read it, I, I didn't feel that it was two authors. It felt for me as one author writing. And so how, how did you pull that off? Well, I think that was sort of a process that happened almost in layers. Like I wrote some of the the first chapters initially in the first draft. Landis wrote some of the first chapters initially. And so those initial drafts probably felt slightly more distinct in our different voices. Like for instance, I tend to write more detailed on a first draft and Landis tends to add more of that in subsequent drafts. But then we went back and forth and edited several rounds on the whole book. So we were both editing each other's work. And so I think by the time we were done, it was much more of a kind of meld. Whereas initially we we were writing different parts that were more distinctive, but just through the editing process, going through each other's work, we kind of each had our hands on each chapter by the end of it. Yeah. Mm. And we, we initially thought we would try this in Google Drive where you could see each other as you're writing, but that became, that created too much pressure on me. I thought I need to be able to write something and clean it up a little bit before I send it to to my co-writer to, to take a shot mm-hmm. at it. And so we just started working uh, uh, in drafts and we would label the draft and uh, whoever's working in it would finish their work on it, uh, including perhaps editing some of what the other person already done. And we'll put that in track changes and drop notes in and then send that back. And then it would come back as draft two and then it could go back as draft three and draft, you know, so we were just kind of sending drafts back and forth and uh using the track changes and the notes. But before we got really serious about that, we did sit down after we'd written uh, about three chapters, four chapters together, and sort of talked about kind of where we might want this to go. Uh, We didn't have a full conclusion to it, but we knew the suspects we wanted to create. We knew perhaps who might be the one who did it, but we, that whole, we ended up with the kind of person we thought might do it, but in a totally different place because we changed how they were going to get into the story from where we started. Mm. But that's just started part of the writing process. You know, you find your way along. Um, and that we just sort of found a way along as we went. But we'll say this, and Sarah kind of alluded to it, and she can probably add to this as well, but I felt it uh, really helped the writing process to get a 
more completed draft before advanced readers saw it to have this built-in editorial process with a co-writer. To, you've, one, you felt motivated, right? You didn't want to mm-hmm. let the yeah. other writer down. And so you wanted to get back to them with something decent. So, And then two, you know, you wanted to uh, respond to their critiques and kind of use it and, you know, accept them and maybe add something. And you wanted to give good feedback to them. And so by that process, it wasn't as if we sat alone in a room by ourselves, wrote something and then gave it to an editor, right? We were editing each other's work as we went so that by the time it did get to four or five beta readers, um, it was in a much better shape than it would have been. And I think if just one person was doing it and staying in their own head the whole time. Yeah. I think that was also one of the the big benefits of the co-writing process because it allowed us to be pretty efficient too. Like I could be writing a section while Landis was reading and editing and vice versa. And so we were sort of doing double duty the whole time. And like Landis said, we were able to get to a more polished draft that it had already had two two brains working on it <laughs> and editing it and reading through before we got to the beta reader stage and two people who were invested in it and were going to edit it closely before we got there. So you just uh, released the two days ago, uh, like three days ago, the 14th, correct? Mm-hmm. And and how, how was it doing? What was what was the reception to the book uh, in terms of, you know, uh, and how did you market it through your podcast? And how is, how is the book doing so far? Yeah, well, I think it's doing pretty well. It got up to about number 340 in a particular category on Amazon. And uh, we had a number of uh, people who, you know, ordered it in advance. And then we had a nice little event at uh, a local bookstore here in Charlotte, uh, Parker Books, an independent bookstore. And we had a number of people show up. Uh, but not Tosh, as you know, it's like... Uh, you never really know how a book's doing. For <laughs> you know, uh, we, we, what we do know is that we we've done an Instagram tour, and we, we really are getting good feedback from the yeah. people on the uh, the bloggers on the tour who are reading it because it's a little something different than what they normally read. It's you know, it's it, fun. <laughs> yeah, I mean, this kind of slaps. And we know we went over the top, right, with some things, with the names and some different. With the names, but, yeah. yeah. And and some people are not going to like that, right? But that's okay, you know. But but we but we didn't want to forget forget who people are because we got a lot of characters in there, and so that was fun to do that. And uh, but so far the the reviews we're getting back from from those reviewers and uh, are, are really positive, and people seem to have a good time with it. Yeah, and I think it. It helps too that it's short. You know, it's it's pretty lighthearted. It's very plot focused, so it's kind of pacey. It's a novella, so it's not like a, a long read. So I think people like having a little bit of a break from the heavier novels, um, which is fun to see. Yeah, I was I was reading a historical fiction set in the Middle East, and it was like long and sad and depressing. And then when I was like, ah, oh, you know what? I'm going to read a fun book, and it was <laughs> such a change of yeah. like pace. And it was so much fun after yeah. all the drama that I was reading. Right. But uh, so it, it was fun, and so I noticed that you self-published or um, I think you have your own publishing company. So when I looked at the publishers here, it says the Charlotte Readers podcast. Is this the first book published by you or how how is the process working for you in terms of the publishing? Yeah, so we we put out eight nonfiction books this past year through the podcast and published them uh, through Charlotte Readers podcast. Those books... um, come from interviews in the first four years. And I'm sure, Natasha, you're quoted in one or more of those books. Uh, but we, t- we, took, we took authors uh, 
what they said in, in those first 500 interviews, and uh, we turned them into eight different books that are topic-related, such as Learning to Write is one book, Writing Process and Tools is a book, Storytelling, Inspiration, and Research is a book, and then we have Writing Techniques and Characters is a book, and a fun book is The Emotional Writing Journey, where all of our authors we talk to lament what it's like sometimes to be a writer and the travails you go through, but also the joy it comes with writing. And then we have a final book in that eight book series, which is uh, publishing and book marketing. And these, this is not our advice. This is basically what the authors have told us uh, in response to our questions about these different things. We always ask the question, I may have asked it to you, what was, you know, if you could tell your younger writing self something of value that had you to known it when you started this thing called writing uh, would make you a better writer. And we got some very interesting answers in response to that question. So uh, to answer your question, we have now published nine books under Charler's podcast, um, and this is the ninth book, The uh, Death by Podcasting. Uh, we just thought it made sense to do that because we built a team that uh, can help us get the books out with a cover designer, a book designer. And then we've you know, kind of been, because we've got three co-hosts on the podcast, two of which are authors, one's a publicist, we've got sort of this built-in team of critics that we can criticize ourselves <laughs> and, and edit our own work, you know, and, and not be offended by it, you know? <laughs> oh, yeah. So now basically you have your own publishing house, right? Are you are you going to expand on it and accept submissions? Like, let's say, can I submit your novel to your publishing house, for example, uh, or anyone who's listening or watching? They, hands or, are, uh, I'm sorry, hands are full. We got... <laughs> we got we got podcast uh, to do. And we got our own books to write, so it'll probably for now just be uh, uh, whatever we decide to uh, self publish, um, hmm. and we'll do that through there. Because running a running a publishing company, I don't know how to do it, but I can imagine that there is a whole lot of work uh, that goes into that. Just and you know, Natasha, from being a podcast, there's a lot of work that goes into vetting submissions, uh, gathering the materials making sure you have what you have. Do, so So on the publishing side, there's the same thing. What, if you were to open it up and say, oh, we're now accepting submissions, I think our mailboxes would be flooded, right? Because mm-hmm. people yeah. are always looking for places to submit their work to. Yeah. So you've never like considered a traditional publisher uh, for, because it's, it's a fun book. It's, it's a fun story that like, I'm sure, you know, it can be picked up by one of the, the big four, I guess. Uh, well, so, I mean. so Sarah is traditionally published with her book uh, with with Penguin, the plus one. Um, okay. But she can probably tell you it's a much longer process. And if we had tried to do this, Sarah, what do you think? It'd have been two or three years before Death by Podcasting would have come out. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that was my experience with my novel. I think from the time that I started querying agents to the time that it came out was about two years, I believe. So it, it's a much longer process for sure. Um, and much more involved in some ways. Like with this, we we finished writing it, what, in like August? Mm-hmm. And it came out in November. So we were able to be very efficient with it. And a lot of that was because Landis had, had experience with publishing mm-hmm. Daily Declarations, his novel. So there was already kind of a team in place. We used the same audiobook narrator, the same cover designer, I think the same designer who did the layout 
if I'm correct. Mm-hmm. So it's it's helpful to already have people who you've vetted. Obviously, like uh, if it's your first time self-publishing, yeah. it's probably going to be a longer lead up because you have to figure out how to how to do all that and who you want to work with. But with this, we were able to just kind of get it right out the door because there was already a team in place. Yeah, the design is amazing. I love the design. It's, yeah, thank uh, you. Um, we've just... got a good book designer and a good uh, cover designer. Um, Dissect Designs in, in the UK did the the cover. Uh, Jennifer Tripp up in Rhode Island did the the book design, and uh, we're really pleased with what they. What about the book. audio? The audio version of the. So book? yeah, that's uh, Bill A. Jones. He's a um, an actor in L.A. He's also a crooner. He does uh, sort of the Sinatra uh, stuff that uh, he sings, and and he did the audio book for Deadly Declaration. So he. Uh, has done the audio book for Death by Podcasting. I think he did a good job. Hey, let me mention one thing in response to your question, because you know a lot of times people think, uh, authors think sometimes that until your book is traditionally published, it might you don't get that stamp of approval that this is good. But I heard a statistic recently that came out of uh, this conference that of the top 100 books in Amazon in over like 30 categories over like from 2020 to 2023, in the mystery and thriller category, 47% of those were self-published books and about 25% of them were traditionally published and then the other were the small presses. And that just goes to show you that it's it doesn't, uh, the quality of a particular book is not determined by whether it's traditionally published or self-published. If you look at the you know, the top 100 that are selling on one of the biggest online networks. Uh, and, and also with that, they did the, they looked at the reviews and and the reviews fell in line, whether it was indie published or traditionally published for those top 100 books. So it just goes to show that if you, if you try, if you can do it right, I will say this, that traditionally published, I think has a broad, you can have a broader distribution um, if you're a young, you know, if you're just getting into it. But for those that are indie published and have done it for a while, you can get some pretty good distribution online, uh, and you can also put the books out faster, which is what we wanted to do. We wanted to get this book out because it was fun, and we were having a good time with it, and we wanted people to be able to read it. Yeah. I, You know, if it was up to me, I would self-publish everything. The The issue is that it's, you have to put a lot of money up yeah. front, and you, don't, you, you probably won't get – back your investment uh like i if, if we do the math you know it's it's like you know if you want to pay for an editor a book designer and audience like we're talking about maybe 10 grand it's it's a lot of money for a starving artist like yeah, myself yeah. No, it, it, so, it is. There, there is an investment there and i think that a lot of traditionally published authors don't really get into indie publishing and doing really well until they've gone the traditional route and have built up a little bit of a following and then they find their readers and they can go uh, mm. from there. And we've never, I've never personally focused too much on how many readers there are. I'm I'm just trying to get the book in as many hands as I can and hoping people are having fun with it. And I'm not really trying to keep score yet as to how many books I'm selling. I'm going by the mantra that uh, the way to market this book is to write your next book. Because the more books you have yeah. out there, 
then the better chance is that people are going to find you. So and go back and read. Yeah, that yeah. that's true. Yeah, that was a hard lesson for me right. <laughs> to exactly. learn because, like, I stopped writing after the first book and I just focused on I think I don't know what, but right. and then I realized I cannot market the the book. Uh, I have to start writing. So yeah. that's that was a hard lesson. So okay, so I want to talk a, a bit about podcasting and and being an author and a podcaster do you think every author should have a podcast and what are the pros and 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 cons like for me I just I love it and I was chatting with Sarah before we started recording is it's it's a labor of love I I pay out of of my pocket just to run it and mostly for for these kind of conversations you know this is this is what it means for me to write a podcast is to have this community. But in terms of the pl- building platform, and do you think every author should have a uh, podcast? What do you think, Sarah? Well, I wouldn't say every author should have a podcast. I think if it's something you're interested in, then go for it. Give it a try. It's something like self-publishing where there's a pretty low um, initial barrier to entry. You can kind of make of it what you want. You can put as much time and effort and money into it as you are willing to do. And, you know, it's it's a lot of fun. We get to (laughs) meet people like you and we get to talk to authors from all over the world. And I I really enjoy it. And it is helpful for building platform. But I think with any anything that goes into sort of building your platform, your brand, your community as an author or marketing your books, there's no, there's no thing that I would say, well, every author has to do this. You don't have to have a newsletter. You don't have to have a blog. You don't have to be on Instagram or Facebook or TikTok. You don't have to have a podcast. Um, you don't have to do in-person events. I think you have to do something if you want to reach an audience and get your <laughs> books out there. Yeah. But you can kind of pick and choose and, and figure out what different yeah. methods work best for you. Yeah, I want to pick up on that to say that uh, two things. One, I agree with Sarah that you you should only do a podcast if you are really going to be committed to to doing it. We have a little uh, epigraph in the front of the book here from the founder of the Queen City Podcast Network about a thing called Podfade. Um, you know, after most podcasts die after about eight episodes, they just kind of yeah. go away and it's called, they came up with a term, it's called pod fade. It's because people uh, wear out. <laughs> and uh, okay. so the fact that you just stay with it is, but in order to stay with it, you've got to really enjoy doing it. Because as you said, Natasha, you're putting an outlay, not only of your time, but your money mm. uh, to make it work. And um, we have found that uh, there are aspects of it that are very time consuming. I mean, the the vetting and the responding to emails and the coordinating and getting the interview set up and making sure the technology works and all that kind of stuff. And yet it's kind of what I liken to back when I was an athlete in college. It, I never liked the practices, but I love the games, you know, and it's just kind of the same way with podcasting, all the stuff that leads up to, I mean, I had a interview this morning. Um, it got, derailed yesterday because of technological difficulties. And I was told because of the author's schedule, who was at interviews all day long, we didn't know whether we could reschedule. The author was David Badalci, but he had, oh, well. you know, he had said, uh, no, I want to, I want to fix this. So we got together this morning and it was a great interview. We had a super conversation and I came away thinking, much differently than I was thinking about podcasting yesterday about how great that is and how fun that was and what a great experience it was to have that interview because of some of the things I learned and just how, you know, open he was about his processes and what he did um, as many books as he sold. So, you know, there is that upside and look, 
I think that if you're an author, it doesn't have to be podcasting. I mean, as Sarah said, find something that is just not buy my book, buy my book, buy my book. Correct. Find yeah. something where, like, I can see over your shoulder and I can see your book sitting on the shelf there, Tasha. Yeah. Right? Yeah. And I can, and when you interview people, they know you're an author and sometime they're going to come back and uh, read your book and talk about your book. And it, it, you're going to be getting out there because you're doing something with, uh, it doesn't have to be a podcast. It could be, a, it could be a YouTube channel. It doesn't have to be in a podcast interviewing authors either. It could be a podcast talking about your dogs or your cats, or maybe you've got a, something you're really obsessed about that you want to talk about on a podcast with a friend or by yourself. I mean, that would be a way to, or you could just, uh, Start a book club, or you could uh, do something else creative where you're involving people in the literary community. Yeah, that's one of the things that I think is kind of fun about marketing as an author is it's very personal. You know, you're when you're selling your writing, you're selling something that came from yourself and from a deep place in you, and that has to do with your personality. And when people latch onto an author and start to really appreciate his or her work, they want to know who that person is. They like to get to know you on a personal level. So whether it's through the posts that you're putting up on social media or writing in a blog or a podcast or a YouTube channel, whatever it might be, you can tap into, it doesn't have to be just about your book and your writing. It can be about other interests you have. It can be about your personality. It can be about, like Landis says, your, your dog, you know, yeah. <laughs> something that lets yeah. people kind of get to know you as a person. Yeah. yeah. I mean, we, we, we did this newsletter and we put pictures of us and doing different things. I put some pictures in of my grandson and myself because I'm very proud of my two-year-old grandson, you know, and uh, we have a lot of fun together. So, you know, it's it's also personalizing, as Sarah said, what you're doing that are going to maybe cause people to give your either your podcast or your book or just something about what you're doing a, a first look. Yeah. So do you do this full-time or do you have other, you know, side gigs going on? Or, you know, I'm, I'm just curious because you put a lot of time um on it and from my interaction as well with Landis two years ago I mean he's like very detail oriented ex- extremely professional <laughs> and it's so okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, <laughs> it's not a full time gig we don't we don't punch a time clock but uh, okay so and Sarah's involved in a lot of things I'm involved in a lot of things what, what are your thoughts Sarah? yeah I mean it's it's not full time I think it's podcasting is kind of something that you can make it as time-consuming or not as you are willing to make it. Okay. For us, I mean, we both have our own writing projects. I have, sometimes I do teaching or speaking gigs too. So I have other things too. And I've had other jobs in the past alongside that as well. I think we we probably are at like the upper end of the spectrum in terms of how much time and effort we put into it compared to other podcasters. I mean, we release an episode every week. We have a newsletter. We have nine books that we published with the podcast over the past year. And we've done events and workshops and conferences associated with those. So we put a lot into it. Um, but, you know, some people release on a uh, less regular or less frequent schedule, or they might not do like the newsletter, the social media, all the kind of stuff that goes alongside it. So you can kind of make of it what you will. And and like co-writing, we decided to sort of do co-podcasting. I know, Natasha, you do these interviews and I did them by myself for the first 300 interviews. And after a while, I realized I'm not going to be able to do all these other things and get an episode out every week. So with two other co-podcasters, uh, we can kind of split up the interviews and mm. that way we can get as much content. And also it's nice. I think that people get to, I mean, cause we all three of us have a little different interview style, just like we all have a little bit different writing style. And it's nice. I think for our 
guests, uh, our listeners to be able to hear from Sarah and Hannah and me in, in different formats. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so how do you monetize your podcast if, if you do or if that's something that you want to do? Well, I'll tell you, um, when I first started the podcast, I had this idea that, uh, yeah, I'm going to try to monetize. And, you know, the first season, a year or two, I got some sponsors. And honestly, I'm a retired trial lawyer. You know, I'm fortunate to be in that position. You know, we, I just I started realizing it was taking me more time. And I started figuring out what my time was worth to go get these sponsorships that I would rather take some of the, I still do a little work as an arbitrator, you know, a year. I might have one or two arbitrations a year. I just take some money I make from the arbitration work and stick it in my podcast account and don't mm. worry about it. You know, yeah. it's like one of those things that uh, everybody's told us, you know, well, Landis, y'all could probably really monetize this. And they're probably right. And Sarah and Hannah, might, I may get around to it at some point, but Sarah's about to have a baby and Hannah's going to be moving and I've got some things to deal with. So. Eventually, maybe maybe on our tenth anniversary, we'll we'll start monetizing. I don't know, but uh, you know, it's uh, it's not something we've been overly focused on because we've been able to keep the cost down. With the we only have so many costs, and we've got some Patreon supporters, and those Patreon supporters we really appreciate are able to help us cover uh, some of our costs on the uh, uh, audio website and our regular website. So we, we're not spending a lot of. We could be spending more money on advertising and that kind of thing which we used to do when I had a little sponsorship. We're just not doing as much of that. So we're trying to cover our cost through some of our Patreon supporters and the little bit of money that I stick in mm. to, the, to the podcast account. Do you do your own editing? I do. Uh, I use a editing software called Hindenburg. So we kind of divide responsibilities. Sarah has been taking charge of the show notes and communications with the authors. I've been doing the audio editing and Hannah has been doing the uh, social media and the graphics. Oh, okay. I see. Yeah. Um, it's, it's, it's a lot of work yeah, and you're fortunate you have, you have, yeah, <laughs> I, I, um, you know, I do it. I mean, I, the only thing I outsource is the audio editing. Um, yeah, yeah. just, I, I, I couldn't do it. It's just a lot of time. And so who are your audience? Do you have an idea of who come to your podcast? Which countries? Which regions are they mostly from North Carolina? Because you, I think you highlight a lot of authors from the South, correct? Uh, and there's a yeah. Yeah, originally, originally it was just North Carolina because that's where we started. But when we expanded yeah. and started having authors in over 35 uh, states and four or five countries, we started picking up listeners in different parts of the country. And I think. Uh, our statistics show that it is spread out now. Um, with the, there is a concentration in the South because we're located in the South, but then we do have listeners uh, from all over uh, the U.S. And, uh, you know, we're not killing it in downloads, but we're getting, you know, three to 6,000 downloads a month, something like that. And so it's, a, you know, we, we've, got a, we've got a nice little audience. We appreciate uh, the uh, regular listeners. And I go, we go, sort of go by the mantra of, you know, it's better to have, you know, a thousand people that are listening to you than a hundred thousand people that say they are but never are, you know, kind of yeah. thing. Yeah, mm -hmm. yeah. I also think this is one of the kind of nice 
side effects of the pandemic in a way, because you used to land us record at a studio in person in Charlotte. That was actually when I was on as an author guest a few years ago, that was what we did. But then when you went to remote recording, it opened things up a lot so we can have authors on from other states and other countries. And that's probably helped pick up listeners from other places as well. Oh, okay. And how do you find the guests? Do they come to you? <laughs> well, originally we hunted them down, you know, and, uh, we uh, now we've got uh, our website uh, lets people submit, and then some publicists, a lot of publicists found out about us. So our mailbox get inundated, um, you know, from the big five with people that want to be on the podcast, or at least their publicists want want them to be on the podcast. <laughs> and then so we have to go through there and vet those out. Um, honestly, um, it's more than we can put on the podcast that we get, you know, submissions from. So that's always. That's another reason I probably wouldn't want to run a small press because I hate, you know, saying no to people. But uh, mm-hmm. we did come up with some a couple ways that people can be on the podcast without being interviewed. We have something called elevator pitches that people can uh, do a 30-second elevator pitch. We got a link. They can do it on our website, and then we'll put it on the podcast. So. Oh, wow. And what would make you pick the person that would go on your on your podcast? Like, why, why did you say yes to me? when when i pitched to you i remember i yeah. i think i did some research and like what are the best podcasts for authors and i think your name came up and i submitted what what make what makes you say yes to people who pitch i, I just well i thought your book had an intriguing title and you had a nice little pitch you know that went along with it and uh uh you're up in the i'm trying to remember where you in the Baltimore? Uh, uh, yeah, in uh, Maryland, in Rockville, Maryland? near, near yeah. D.C., yeah, in the suburbs of D.C., yeah. And also look forward to try to find people from different parts of the country and that kind of thing. And and I think your your book had uh, an interesting heritage aspect to it, you know, that you were yeah. dealing with and uh, that I had not explored before on the podcast. So I thought that would be interesting. So we, we look as much for what the book's about as to what the author can also share from their personal stories. So I thought, I mean— as you recall, we talked a little bit about your personal story on the podcast and mm, um, yeah. and how you got there. So uh, that was another reason we – would you – Sarah, what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, I mean, I think that we we certainly try to make space for people who we know personally or who have been on the show before or who are local authors. We want to make sure we represent them. But in terms of authors who we don't already know, um, yeah, it's kind of a combination of factors. I mean, we have the luxury, like Nanda said, of saying no to people and of kind of picking and choosing. So between the three co-hosts, we can look at submissions that we get and, and say, like, is this a book that actually looks like something I want to read? That's a big factor, honestly. Mm-hmm. I think looking at the professionalism of the submission is important. So if you're submitting or having a publicist submit on your behalf, just making sure even the little things like, is it, even if the book sounds intriguing based on the plot, if there are very, very obvious kind of grammatical errors or typos in the summary, that makes me think, you know, how much time and effort did this person put into the book or having blurbs from authors who, whose names I've heard that, that can make a difference. I look at the person's bio. If there's something in their bio that makes me think, oh, that, that would be interesting to talk to the person about, then that that's a good factor for me. Or if they have something about not just the book itself, but maybe their career as an author, maybe they do something 
interesting, like having their own book podcast um, where they talk to other authors or something they've done for marketing that sounds interesting. I think that that could be something that we could talk about on the show. So I'm kind of looking at, is this a book that I want to read? Is it a genre that we cover, first of all, because we don't do as much in terms of like nonfiction or children's books? Um, but also, what sorts of things could I pull from that might be interesting to talk to this person about? And do they follow mm-hmm. the directions in terms of how to submit? <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. yeah. A lot of people don't follow the directions. They'll they'll shoot you an email instead of going to the submission page or something, and uh, they'll fill out the wrong submission form or the one that says feedback for the podcast instead of the one that is author submission. They're not they're right next to each other. You can't miss it. But uh, it, it's I, I do think Sarah really hit the nail on the head that. It, it's those kind of different factors. And I mean, I like to read mysteries, thrillers. That might explain, Natasha, a little bit why your, your book yeah. intrigued me, you know. And uh, uh, Hannah likes uh, sort of the dark, uh, suspenseful things. And Sarah, um, you can speak for yourself as to what you like. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I'm kind of all over the place, but I, I'm always a sucker for good literary fiction or anything kind of speculative or magical realism. I love anything with humor in it. So I think between the three of us, we're able to get a good variety on the show. So your book was uh, started with the podcaster receiving a text message, which is, you know, like not really a death threat, but uh, telling them that they're going to be murdered, right? So in terms of your uh, feedback, have you ever received something threatening? Uh, like what, uh, or that was just a joke? Or what was kind of the worst feedback that you ever received? Have uh, you ever like upset an author? I, I want some juicy stuff. <laughs> That's interesting. We I don't think we had too much terrible feedback. There was without, um, without giving like actual identifying details there was a book that we profiled in a certain way on the show where we heard from a family member of the author who wrote into us to kind of complain about the book (laughs) which was interesting but i think that was more about some some drama within the family um yeah yeah but i I don't know landis have you gotten any any certainly no death threats i hope (laughs) no death threats i have i did have one author one time wanted me to take down their photo because I didn't use the photo from the good side. Um, and, uh, <laughs> you know, and <laughs> so. Was that a woman or a man? We won't go there. We won't go there. Uh, but it was, uh, you know, we, we ended up putting in some things in place, like a little consent form you signed that just basically says, you know, we have the right to use your photo or your, your bio and, you know, um, people... Because ah, you're I'm, a lawyer. You're a yeah, lawyer. You have right. to go to all these consent forms. Like, for me, I don't do any consent forms. Maybe I, I should. I'll probably get sued. Yeah, well, you're welcome to use ours. <laughs> yeah. It's on the website. You can download it. Uh, and, and, you know, it's... Uh, but, yeah, different people do it different ways. But in terms of feedback on the podcast, everybody's been really good who who has uh, been on there. We've only had... A, very rarely have we had people try to sort of control the narrative, but every now and then you'll have someone who's a little nervous and wants to kind of stick to a script and uh, you have to kind of help them loosen up a little bit, you know, that because mm. uh, you want it to be conversational and you don't want yeah. it to sound scripted. Um, and that's more, I think, nerves on their part than anything else. They've got something they want to read and you kind of uh, pull, yeah. pull them yeah. out and get them, get them focused a little bit. I guess the, the feedback I've gotten that uh, 
You know, everybody gets these uh, one-star reviews, right, on your books from time to yeah, time. Yeah, of course. Yeah, yeah. good got, reads. I, I've enjoyed those when people didn't like my plot line. It wasn't about the book. Or they just didn't. I had one one-star review on one of my holiday books that involved a global warming theme um, as part of the plot. And uh, they didn't like that. They didn't like the fact that uh, mm. global warming might be a thing. And so they gave me a one-star review and said, this Christmas book uh, was definitely written so that Al Gore could read his read this book to his granddaughter at Christmas time. You know? <laughs> yeah, everything <laughs> is about this politics book, here. This book is just an, mm-hmm. as much of an inconvenient truth, you know, or something like that. Oh, uh, yeah, okay, okay, yeah. yeah well, <laughs> but, and those, uh, but those are fine. Those, those one-star reviews, people can look at them and go, oh, okay, I get it, it's, you know, whatever. They're not really talking about the book. Or they trash the author. That's uh, at least in Goodreads. It's 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 famous for that. Oh yeah. So I I, I'm just gonna nitpick on something here, which is you your book started with this person sending a text message, not an email. And I kept thinking, as a podcaster, who sends podcaster text messages one? And how did they get their, their phone number? And why didn't they ju- use the other traditional way of contacting a podcaster and Instagram, DM, and email or whatever? So uh, oh, that was just... Hurt. It's the investigative <laughs> reporter coming out, huh? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, I guess, uh, you know, my contact information, uh, including my mobile number, is part of my signature on my email, and it's also ah, on the podcast. Okay. So I see People can, I suppose, that uh, Raspy Fuse and Salty Marks made the same mistake, and uh, mm-hmm. this person was able to get uh, get their uh, text number and be able to text them. Yeah. Do you get text yeah, messages? I do every now and then. Well, the reason we do it is just so that if there's a technical glitch uh, while we're trying to record, we can text the person and and say, "Hey, you know, are you ready? Uh, where are you?" Um, oh yeah, I, I did have somebody I had to text one time, and they. Had overslept, you know, and uh, <laughs> I think they'd been out drinking the night before too. Because he was really right with you. And I thought, well, this person really loves our podcast, they're ready to go. Yeah. <laughs> Free gaming, <Yeah. laughs> that's fun. So, what are you working on next? Um, well, I'm I'm having a, a baby in February, so oh, that's congrats. a big personal project. But in terms of writing, um, I've got I've been writing a lot, bunch of short stories lately, and using that as an outlet to kind of explore, particularly more literary fiction, and just kind of try out different subjects and styles and voices, and uh, publishing some of those in magazines and journals. Um, I also do screenwriting, and I have a few scripts that I are kind of in different stages of development, but I have one that I'm focusing on right now. That's a feature um, based on a true historical story set in Germany during World War II. So I've been working on that and I'm about to go into draft three of that one, I guess. And I have a couple of novel ideas that I, I've i been making notes on and thinking about and I'm not like quite ready to jump into a draft on either of those, but definitely over the next year, that's a goal of mine is to start kind of getting into one of, one of those as well. Sarah always has projects going and she's being modest because she also just had a, uh, a short story it's been nominated for a Pushcart Prize, so oh wow, congrats to her on that. Uh, and as far where as was I'm, it published? Where yeah. was it published? Uh, it's a British journal called Shooter Literary Magazine. Mm, yeah, I've heard of it. Yeah, oh, congrats. Yeah, and Landis. Yeah, so um, in 2022, I had a book come out called Deadly Declarations. It was uh, 
historical mystery set here in Charlotte that where three retirees uh, find a man's body and uh, all of his notes about the Mecklenburg Declaration of Independence are missing when they find his body. And this is a little true story that very few people know about, that there was a Declaration of Independence before the Declaration of Independence and it was signed in Charlotte, North Carolina, or so the story goes. And so they set out to try to solve the mystery of the Mecklenburg Declaration of Independence if uh, they don't die trying. And that's set in Charlotte. And so this year, I'm probably going to bring those retired characters back. And uh, I'm going to work on the, the next novel in the series in 2024. And this one will probably involve the uh, Gold Rush period in Charlotte, which was in the 1820s. And uh, I think I'm going to find a body in the first chapter that uh, is buried in a shaft and there's a gold nugget in their pocket. And because, uh, you know, there's gold mines under under all those bars and big tall buildings in uptown Charlotte, they're still there. So we'll wow. see what happens. Um, Fun. I'm excited for that. That sounds really cool. So be- before we conclude, what are your tips for an author who wants to start a podcast? Uh, well, my first tip would be find an existing podcast and join that like I did. <laughs> so it makes it a lot easier if you have someone who already knows what they're doing. And knows come come join my podcast. I got yeah, lucky. Yeah. Yeah, can I join your podcast? Uh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, seriously, like actually if you can collaborate with someone in some way that that might be a good idea but i would say you know make it your own think about what what works for you um there's a lot of podcasts out there there's a lot of shows that interview authors so think about how you can put a spin on it that feels authentic to you and that works for your conversational style podcasts can look very different from each other they they don't have to be any sort of length or format so think outside the box and kind of find what sounds fun and interesting to you yeah and i would add to that that uh, start small and have a vision for what you want to do, but record at least 10 episodes before you release the first one. That mm. is, go ahead and, and build up a body of work so that when you start releasing on whatever schedule you decide to release them on, whether it be once a month or once every two weeks or once a week, you've got a backlog there that you can work with and you're not putting quite so much pressure on yourself. You don't want to be week to week or feel like you get yeah. to the end of the month and you got to have a podcast to stay on track. And also think about the fact that uh, if you want to start a podcast, you could just create a one-season podcast. You know, you could actually just do a one topic or a one focus. So you could get, you know, 10 writer friends and focus on one thing and uh, do that. And uh, that could be it. And then you can bring it back another time. You don't have to be doing it every week or every month. Uh, you could do it seasonally and maybe take a break and then come back and do it again season later. And you could just mm-hmm. add it to your to your author website. By the way, everybody who's listening who's a writer, make sure you have an author website and keep it updated because yeah. it's very important as far as um, you know, brand building and that kind of thing. But I just think uh, not trying to be like, I mean, there are too many podcasts out there, right? There's too, too much competition. Don't feel like you got to meet the competition. Find your own unique voice and what you want to do with it. And don't feel like you got to be like everybody else and, and have a good time doing it. That's the important thing. If you're not having a good time yeah. doing it, it's not worth doing yeah, yeah, I agree. For me, it's it's the good time. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> that's that's yeah. the reason. So, uh, how do how can people find your book and uh, Death by Podcasting? How can they get in touch with you? How can they submit to your podcast? All of that, uh, if you mm-hmm. can let us know. Well, Death by Podcasting is it's on Amazon. Barnes and Noble, basically anywhere you like to look for your books, you can find it. There's also an audiobook version that's available, um, and that's going to be uploading to more platforms as well shortly. So 
paperback, ebook, audiobook. Um, you can find it through any of those. Uh, you can go to charlottereaderspodcast.com and learn more about that book or about our quote book series. Um, and from there, you can also sign up to our newsletter or submit to be interviewed or submit an elevator pitch or submit to our blog or contact us. There's a lot of different ways to get in touch through there or find us through social media. Yeah. And I think uh, Sarah's website is sararcherwrites.com and I'm landiswade.com. Very creative. We use our names and you know that's our websites. Uh, and as she said, at the Charlotte's podcast website, uh, there are tabs across the top in the far right. There's a contact tab and on there it has places where you can submit or you can put your elevator pitch on there or you can write a blog post that we'll post on our community blog. There are all kinds of ways that writers can engage that, aren't necessarily being interviewed on the podcast. But yeah, you can find this book uh, anywhere. It's not very, I mean, look, it's only two ninety nine on uh, the online sites and it's only nine ninety nine in print. And we tried to put it somewhere in the middle of that for the audiobook. So we're trying to make it very affordable. It's not like we're making much money off it. We just want to have a good time with it and hope that uh, people who've ever heard it. You don't have to be on a podcast to do a podcast. You don't even have to like podcasts. But if you've ever heard of a podcast, this might be the book for you. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. Well, thank you so much for your time. This has been really fun. And uh, I'm humbled to have big podcasters yeah. and authors <laughs> on my on my podcast. And uh, for anyone uh, who's uh, watching or listening, thank you for joining us for another episode of Read and Write with Natasha. And until we meet again. Thank you. Thanks, Natasha. Thank you for tuning in to Read and Write with Natasha. I'm your host, Natasha Tynes. If today's episode inspired you in any way, please take the time to review the podcast. Remember to subscribe and share this podcast with fellow book lovers. Until next time, happy reading, happy writing.